0: Good morning everybody. My name is Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. And uh Butch got the first cry out of the way. So um uh, I know, right? It hasn't even started yet, and I'm already crying. Um my sobriety date is November twenty-first, two thousand and two, and um as pretty spectacular. If it doesn't impress you, that is way okay, because it impresses me. Um I want to thank um, you guys for showing up. I wanted to come in curlers and a muumuu because it's an early meeting, and uh, I got up and got a shower and did my makeup for you guys. So you should be like, thanks, Kel. You know, and um, it is an honor to be here. It is an honor um, to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and to share my experience with you because you guys did it for me. And um, you know, look around the room. I see a lot of people. I see a lot of people from my home group. I see a lot of people that uh, that mean a lot to me. And um to sit up here um, and know that you guys gave me my life. So this is for you. Um, damn it. Um, <laughs> darn it, darn it, darn it. Okay, so I ain't come back up. I grew up on the west side of Cincinnati. Um, to uh, <laughs> um, to an alcoholic mother and um, and my dad. And, um, I have a sister and brother that are two years younger than me. And I was also raised with two cousins. We lived in a, in a duplex side-by-side house. And, um, it was just what it was. I had no idea that I was growing up in alcoholism. I had no idea that, um, my mother grew up in alcoholism and that she was a product of that. And she also suffered for it herself, Um, I had no idea of all the things that were mixed in and the baggage that came into my home. Um, I just know that my mom loved me a lot, and she would tell me how much that she loved me, and she would hug me, and she would kiss me, and then she would be drunk all the time. And it was really confusing to for me is that how can someone that you love and loves you so much also do these horrible, devastating things, you know, and you're a little girl, you know, you come up with these, uh, these ideas, right. Of, of how to get things under control and how to understand how to act and appropriate ways to get your basic necessities, um, met. And, um, I just knew that if I was, if I was pretty enough, she wouldn't do this. If I kept the house clean enough, she wouldn't do this. Um, if I made sure that mom was taken care of, dad wouldn't come home and scream and yell. So I had all these things that I had to keep in control so that I would feel okay inside. And, um, and the cool thing about growing up in the family that I did is that, um, alcohol was prevalent. But there was fun alcohol, too, right? My dad is the oldest of 10, and they love to drink Huda Pole beer and smoke Marble Light cigarettes. And they were so happy when they drank, and they smoked Marble Light cigarettes and pitched horseshoes. And that is what I wanted, because when... Mom was at home and she was drinking her Little Kings and her syrup, which was cough medicine, you know. It was not happy. Like we were in the dark and she sat in the, you know, in the kitchen with a black and white TV. And if we, when we wanted to get fed or drank, we had to put our cups, you know, on the threshold of the kitchen and come back after um, a commercial was on. But then at my grandma and grandpa's house everybody's loving on each other and hugging on each other. And I was like, that is what it is. It's Hutipol versus Little Kings, right? So I'm going to drink um, Hutipol, which if you've ever drank Hudipole, it is the worst tasting beer. It's, it's not good, cold, hot, skunk, anything, right? It's not good. But that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I just couldn't wait. Because that was, that was what was going to make me feel this way. And that was what's going to make me feel that way. You know, and, um, the first time I took a drink for myself, I was 13 years old. It was, um, a hometown football game. It was Elder versus West High. And my mom needed to go out and do what she needed to do. So she purchased our babysitter with alcohol. And the babysitter that I had was my cousin. <laughs> and, uh, she drank and got drunk while she was supposed to watch us. And, um. I just looked at her one day, and I was like, this is it. I went up, I mugged her, and I took her uh, vodka and orange juice and went upstairs and locked myself in the closet. And I intuitively knew what to do with that drink, right? It wasn't like someone was like, okay, Kelly, one day you're going to have the opportunity to beat up your cousin, steal her booze, and this is what you need to do, right? That did not happen. I got that Bart Simpson sports bottle, and I remember, in my closet, and I just remember drinking it and drinking it and drinking it. And it wasn't even good vodka or good orange juice. It tasted like rave hairspray and Sunny Delight. It was awful. <laughs> to this day, Sunny Delight is nasty, right? But I just remember it kept coming up, you know? But I just kept swallowing it back down, you know? Because I knew that if I got it in me, it was going to do it. And there I am. Drunker and cuter brown on my dirty clothes in the closet, drunk. And it was wonderful, right? It didn't, it took away all these things that I had to live up to to be okay. You know, it didn't matter that I had fro red hair and that I was overweight. And the, the skirt that I wore at the Catholic school was uneven because my mom liked to smoke crack and sew. So I would have, like, one part of my hem would be up real high and the other one would be low. You know, it didn't matter that I got my shoes from the, the Kmart bin. Not the Walmart bin, Kmart. Totally different back then. And um, none of that stuff mattered. None of it mattered. And it was just like, okay. You know, and then promptly she opened the door and whooped my butt. And um we got into a car and sideswiped three cars on uh, uh, Sunset Avenue. And we just left post-it notes of my aunt's car insurance. We ended up at Super X trying to buff it out. And I was like, just pour water on it. See, it goes away. And uh the scratch is still there after it dries. And um I loved it. It was so much fun. And I couldn't wait to do it again. And the thing is about... Being 13 years old and needing to drink, you have to supplement your alcoholism. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, but I needed something else. Because unless you met a weirdo like Butch at UDF, and Rick, if you didn't meet them weirdos, you know, to hit on them when you're 13. And go, can you buy me Boone's Farm? And, you know, blot your eyes at them. And and then, of course, they're always like, absolutely, you know. And they, you know, they're in the raper van. And um so... <laughs> So um, that didn't happen all the time. So, you know, I started, um, you know, experimenting with with marijuana and um, just anything that I could do to get out of right here, right now. You know, and I I was looking back um, over it, and I was doing stuff like this before I ever drank. Like, I remember being in elementary, and I go to a Catholic elementary school, okay? And I remember hearing, if you sniff white out, It'll get you high. So I remember stealing the teacher's whiteout and sniffing it up my nose in the bathroom and coming out and having white stuff. Like right here, like trying doing this, like in the third and fourth grade, trying to get the whiteout out of my nose. I didn't do it right. It didn't get high. And then I remember there was this thing that I used to do that if you put your um, head between your legs and you go like this. And then you stand up and you push on these two um, veins right here. You will hit the floor like you'll pass out. But right before you hit that floor, when all that, oh, my God, it's such a rush. And these are things that I'm doing in elementary school before I ever drink. Right. I was it was fun as exciting. Anything I heard, I tried to do. And um, but, you know, alcohol and weed, they they did. They took away those things. And. um, I'm going along trying to do these things. The second time I drank, I got um, arrested uh, for possession of alcohol in Delhi. I was hanging out with a bunch of seniors, and I was in the eighth grade, and we went over, and they sold us Bartles and James wine coolers. And, uh, what that did was, uh, get us arrested. There were five girls. We were all handcuffed together in the back of this cop car and we got taken to the Delhi police station and, you know, they're screaming at us, that scare tactic, like dare, don't you know? And I'm like, <laughs> I was more scared of big Rick showing up and picking me up than I was. I would have stayed in jail because big bull, well, big Rick's my dad and he's called big Rick because he's big and his name is Rick. And, um, <laughs> And he would yell so loud that the glass in the in the house would vibrate. And, you know, and I never thought, like, this has to be horrible for him, right? He's got an alcoholic wife that's smoking crack and his 13-year-old daughter's getting arrested for alcohol possession. Like, man, his, love, his picker's broke, right? <laughs> you know, and um, I never thought of that stuff. All I wanted to do was to feel better, to not think, and then not get in trouble. And it was like right off the gate, I'm already having these consequences. So um, in my dad's wisdom, God love him, um, he decided to move us from Price Hill to Cleves, Ohio. little well, geographical cure, you know. And um, all that did was make my mom have to steal more money for the gas money to get to over the Rhine to Cleves. And and it made me have really bad anxiety because everything that I knew how to do and how to get my stuff and my hookups now switched. And I had to go down to this, you know, in this new town that was horrible. It was like the place that time forgot. People had mullets. Yeah. I know they're back now, but they weren't, they weren't back in, in 95. And, um, it looked like Tawny Catane was going to roll through on the hood over you know, the white snake video, you know? And, and I just remember thinking, God, this place is awful. All, all you could hear was crickets and Edgewater. That's all you could hear. And, um, and I had to go to this. I had to start off at a high school not knowing anybody. And, um, and my head was really loud. Like I'm trying to figure out who I have to be and who I have to dress like to be okay to, to go in there. You know, and I had my sweater vest on and my Eastlands, and I had my gold fake bamboo earrings because I wanted to be Queen Latifah, and um, I did, dude. I wanted to be Queen Latifah so bad. And um, oh, I'm white trash. I don't know if you guys might have not figured that out with my nice dress and my hair and my makeup. Yeah, I'm I'm white trash, and um, and I just didn't know. I didn't know anything. Um. But that was the first time that I knew that I hear things differently than most people do. Like my brain is broke. That's what I thought. I thought I was crazy because I would hear these things and I would, I, I couldn't put context clues together. Right? Um, I remember I, I went to school and I stood up and I told them where I was from and I sat back down and the girl was like, "Oh, you're from, you're from, you know, the West Side." I was like, "Yeah, West Side." And I threw up these West Side things, and and what I heard, what I heard was, "Oh, if you're the West Side, you're gangster. If you're a gangster, I'll be my friend." She did not say any of that. She goes, "Oh, you're from the West Side," right? So I come back to school the next day all out in my gangster gear, like my, my Jordans and um my Raiders shirt, and um and I'm gangster gangster for a couple weeks and then I realize that that's not working. So then I go back to the Eastlands in the sweater vest, and eventually I get in where I fit in and I start playing sports and I try to come up this identity that I don't really know. So I'm just trying to do what you guys do. And um and that's really where it all started and how my alcoholism just progressed. Um, as I was adopted by a senior and she thought it'd be really funny to get me drunk because she said I had a great personality. And I was like, okay, yes. You know, and we, and we get to her house and she's like, okay, what do you want? And, and Kara's with me and Kara gets like a six pack of Coors Light. And she's like, what do you want? And I was like, well, I want some Mad Dog 2020, some Boons Farm. I was like, I need a, a 40 ounce of Little Kings. And I was like, if you can get some, you know, Coors Light on the side, that would be good too. And I remember she looked at me. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to drink again. So I got to get it in, you know, and, and, uh, Kara drank hers and she got drunk and I drank mine. And I was like, it's like, you know, when you get that right there and you're like, yeah, right. And we had nothing to do cause we're all in high school. So we drove to the Walmart. Because there was just one at the time in Lawrenceburg. And the whole way out there, it was great. We're dancing, we're singing, hanging out the windows, mooning people and flashing truck drivers. And then as soon as I get there, I just go over that edge where I become sloppy drunk Kelly. And I get stuck in the little 25-cent carousel ring that you put your kids in, right? And I lose all body functions. I don't know how to get my legs out, so they're stuck real high. I'm in a dress. I just remember that. Um, so my, my, I'm stuck. I'm drunk. And I'm like, I can't get out. And the manager at the Walmart has to come over and go, okay, you put your foot on the foot. Thank you. I love you. And I'm hanging on him. And we get back in the car. I puke river road the whole way home. And I get to my house. And I just walk in like nothing. Like, you know, you're trying to be sober when you're not. And I just walk in. And I remember my mom and dad going, hey, Cal. I was like, mother, father, I'm going to bed. And I walked right upstairs and passed out, right? No consequences, no anything. It was like, part of me was like, I am free. I can do what I want. And the other part was like, they don't even care. See, they don't love you mom and dad that, you know, their daughter came home drunk as you are, you know, and, they, and that's what I went to bed to. And that's what I woke up to, you know what I mean? After I'm, um, you know, trying to put the foot on the floor and sleeping in the toilet and, you know, all the things that we do. I just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And my alcoholism just progressed from that. It progressed from being fun and having fun at Walmart to the time I'm a senior in high school. I'm on the back of the truck drinking by myself with a case of beer and a bottle of 151. Um, I don't want to share anymore. I'm not going in with you anymore because I need all of this for me. I don't care why you have to drink. I don't care the lies. You have to tell yourself, but I need this. And... um and at one time, it was fun, right? It was fun you drinking all those football players under the table and, like, standing on them when they passed out and just going through and not caring. And if I didn't like the pretty blonde that was there, I would throw something on her because, you know, pretty blonde girls intimidate me. And, um, you know, drinking those colored sane eyes that make you puke rainbow. You know what I mean? Like, all of that stuff was fun until it's not and you're by yourself. And I had no idea what was wrong with me. I just thought I was crazy because those voices in my head are getting louder. And Wes talked about it last night, how he said, you know, it sounds just like me, but just a hair off. Why wouldn't I listen to it? I didn't want to listen to it. It controlled me. I did not have the power to shut it off no matter how much I drank, no matter how many pills I did, no matter how good I tried to be. It never shut it off. And... um so I graduate high school um, while my mom's in the psych ward um, because her alcoholism took her to a whole other level. And um, you know, she's in the psych ward um, and I go I go to um Panama City Beach for um senior trip. Don't remember it. Had a great time apparently, um, but one thing I do remember is that's the first time that I remember coming out of a blackout. And I remember that I was in the shower at the hotel, I remember coming to and looking around, I remember exactly what the bread spread looked like. I remember, like, the um, the mirror and, like, that um, wicker around the mirror. And I remember thinking, if I can just get a beer, we'll just figure it out, right? As long as I get that beer, I'll just figure it out. I remember wiping, you know, getting a towel and cracking a beer and sitting down. And then my best friend comes in the room. And I'm just sitting there drinking, trying to figure it all out. And she looked at me, and she goes, you're going to be an alcoholic just like your mother, And I remember hearing that like all the way down, you know, down that place that you've tried to protect and you put all these walls up and it's walls and more walls and, you know, and you have it and you're so hard. But that like that sentence just went in and blew that all away. And my response wasn't, oh my God, thank you for that enlightened conversation. No, it was like, F you, why are you here? You don't even drink. And then I drank and I got right back in that blackout. And that's what my life consisted of. um, I ended up going to college to become a drug and alcohol counselor because I was going to fix all you crackheads and alcoholics. Because if Wendy would have just listened to what I had to tell her, she wouldn't be where she is. And at this time, she's in treatment and is sober almost a year, right? And uh, so I'm going through and um, drinking. I'm doing what I do. You know, I'm experimenting with with pills. Um, I went to my aunt's house one day, and I said I had cramps. And she's like, oh, here, take these. I had cramps for six months and got Percocets from my aunt every day for six months. It was amazing how these medical problems happen when you're 22 years old. Like, six months is a long time. And, um, And I'm drinking on top of these. And it was like, I woke up one morning, and it was like, somebody just flipped the switch. And nothing worked right. Like, I would drink two beers and be so drunk that I couldn't even one-eye it up Bridgetown Road. Or I would drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and nothing would settle this down. And I was angry and I was crying and I was hateful and I tried to hurt you because I figured if I just had your boyfriend, that would make me better. Or if I beat you up, that would make me feel better. Or if I cut my sister down or I cut my brother down or if I make my dad feel as bad as he makes me feel, that will make me. And it didn't. None of it worked. And, um, and alcohol wasn't working. And these pills weren't working. So I remember thinking, psych meds. That's what, you know, I've been enough, you know, psych wards visiting my mom. I'm like, Thorazine, right? I really didn't know if it got you high, but I know you drooled and you shuffled. And I figured if I can get in that, that way, if I can just drool, you can't drool and think, right? You just, you just lose all control. And that's, that's what I wanted. And um, so I went to my primary care doctor, you know, and I was like, I practiced. I was like telling him, you're going to tell him this and you're going to tell him this. So I tell him all like my fifth step stuff. And he started like really engaged. And then he was like backed up and he was like, okay, and he wrote me some scripts and I'm like, ching And uh, he goes, okay, I need you to take this, go see her and then take this. And I was like. Yes. So I get, you know, I'm excited. I got the scripts filled and it says, you know, may cause drowsiness. I'm looking for do not operate heavy machinery. You know, I'm looking for that sticker. And it said, do not drink with alcohol. Take one a day. I took seven. It was Zoloft. It did not work. I was very, very disappointed in those meds. so I just went ahead and went to this this doctor, and this doctor was going to be the cure. This is the doctor that's going to give me the psych meds. She's going to know all of the, you know, I'll get some Bar, I'll get all of them, you know. And um, so I remember practicing in the mirror my cry face, and I remember putting the black eyeliner on, because if you cry with black eyeliner, you know how it gets it's real dramatic. So I'm lining that up with my lighter and just getting it on and... So, you know, I get up there and she's like, why don't you lay down? I'm like, I'm laying down like this on the, you know, I'm practicing all my facial expressions. And, and she's like, why don't you tell me about your drinking? And I was like, well, can you, can you be more precise? Can you give me like, you know, she's like, well, do you drink differently for different reasons? I'm like, well, well, sometimes I was like, can you just pick a day of the week? And she's like, okay, Thursday. And I was like. Okay, and that is the first time I ever had an out-of-body experience. I don't know if you guys have ever had this, but this only happens twice. It's when I'm telling the truth, and I'm telling you your inventory. It's like I start to talk, and my body separates, and I'm up here going, Shut up! Shut up! Stop! Abort! 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 But my mouth just keeps running, you know? And that was the first time I did that. Being honest with someone. And I sat and I told this lady what my Thursday looks like. My Thursday looks like I got to be at work at 4. I wake up at 3.30. I pick up the dirty uniform off the floor. I scrape off the pizza sauce. Put my uniform on. Bath and body works in the appropriate positions. Because I'm not showering anymore. I had long, stringy hair. But if you... Comb it real nice. It looks like it's wet, even though it's greasy, right? And you get, and I'm going to work, and I'm hot boxing my men, my newports, my menthols, and you know I'm just trying to hold it together long enough to count down the drawers so she can leave, and I can just sit there and be a butthead to all the people that work for me because I can't drink at work. Like, I can't drink at work. I need I need this job to do what I need to do. I cannot get fired. So I'm screaming at all these high school kids. And then after, you know, we shut the doors and the restaurant closes, I'm drinking out of the keg because it's not stealing from a keg because they can't count it. They can only count the bottles. So I'm drinking out the keg, and I'm counting down the money, and I lock the door down, and I open up the door to leave, and my bar's right next door. In the bar next door, Marty's Pub, And I love Marty's because they're old guys that had been there since noon are still there. So I got to hurry up and flirt with these old guys so they'll buy me the shots that I need because I only have this much money to get me through this much of the night, right? So I'm flirting with these old guys. I'm, um, you know, getting it. I'm starting to relax and I'm looking around for my mark because I got to find the new guy that here that doesn't know how this works. So he's trying to impress someone like, yeah, I need two over here. And then he turns around to hit on the girls. Then I just side in, get his beers, drink them real fast and then hit over here <laughs> to go hustle the dumb dumbs at the pool table. And, um, I let them win, pretend I'm drunk, get them drunk enough. Then I beat them. Then I take their money. Then they try to fight me and I got to go. And then I do whoever and whatever is at the after party. Um, and then I come home with the sun and it's always those days where it's the worst, where my alcoholism is the heaviest, where I'm feeling everything. You know, that, that film on your skin and the film on your teeth, you know, that sweater that's been growing there for a couple days and the, you know, everyone's going to work They're You know, they got their coffee and their thing. They look like they're doing it and I'm driving and I'm thinking, why? You know, like, why? And i dead? this is awful. And I'm going down my street just praying that my dad's not there. Because if my dad's there, I'm going to have to look at him. And every time, every time that I would think that thought, he'd be walking the dog. And he would look at me, and I would look at him, and he would just hang his head, and he would just shake it. And he would just keep walking that dog. And I don't know about you guys, but I would rather you hit me, scream at me, punch me. Let my alcoholism read your thoughts. Because my alcoholism, it knows exactly what to say to make me want to go back out and drink again and want to die every single time. And um, and then, you know, I go home and pass out and start all over again. And she's like, oh, well, you're out of time. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. But um, you can come back next week. And I was like. You didn't hear a word I said. I don't want to think. That is why I'm here. You're supposed to help me. And she didn't. And I remember going out of there. And I'm at Christ Hospital. And um, and I called my mom. You know those intuitive thoughts that we have. That we don't know why we do stuff. I have come to believe that that is my higher power. Who does things without my permission all the time. And that was the first time that I acted on an intuition. I called my mom. And uh, she was sober almost a year. And she said, what's up? I said, they want me to think. And she laughed and she said, why don't you come to the house? And I was like, okay. So I, I I get lost as an Easter egg. Like when you have to go to Kentucky from Ohio where I'm from, I just get lost, right? I'm in Clifton. I end up on Anderson Ferry, like the legit ferry that you put your car on and it drives you across the road. And I'm coming up Mineola and I got to get to Covington and the Bluffs. Like I don't know where I'm going, right? But the thought hits me. Look at this road. You could just veer off the side of this road and die and nobody would ever know. Nobody would ever know that you killed yourself. You know, so I'm thinking real hard about this. Because I like to think when I want to think, right? And those, like, even you get, you go down that rabbit hole. And I just remember thinking, you know, I really don't want to die. But a coma sounds real nice, right? Because if you get in a coma, you get a feeding tube. You'll lose weight because that was a problem. If I was skinny, my life wouldn't be like this. So I'll get a feeding tube. And then they'll give me good IV drugs, right? I'll be high. It'll be fentanyl because they don't know how bad I'm hurt. I don't have to lie this time. I'm in a coma. You know, and Scott from the third grade will show up. He'll kiss me. I'll wake up out of the I will be skinny high and in love all of the things that are going to fix me. Right. And there'll be coma. Yes, that's it. Right. But, uh, that God that I have that does things without my permission got me to Covington to the bluffs. And I remember I walked in and my mom was like, um, I'm getting ready to go to a meeting. Would you like to go with me? I was like, yes, I want you to stop smoking crack. I will go with you to a meeting. And, uh, I have no idea what's going on. Right. And, uh, and I had been going to Alcoholics Anonymous since 1982. That's when my mom started going into AA. in and out, in and out. I knew what a sponsor was. I knew who gay was at the time. I knew what a gratitude list was. I knew that you should be grateful for having legs that work because there are people that don't have legs that work. Which I thought, how is that going to help you quit smoking crack, mom? But good job. So I get in the car with her, and we're going down this bridge, and we stop in the middle of the ghetto. And I was like, what are we doing here? She's like, I got to pick somebody up. I was like, oh, does your drug dealer go to AA now too, right? So um, we stop, and the van door opens, and all of a sudden you hear, oh, my God, Wendy, thank you for picking me up to take me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and someone else is going, God woke me up with a grateful heart, and oh, my God, do you want to hear my gratitude list, and woo, do you want a Red Bull, and I'm like, what is going on, like, please Stop. It was happy new girls. My mom was picking up new girls, right? And that is the most horrible thing in the world, right, when you're in a car with your mom to try to support her to go to AA. And she picks up a bunch of, you know, these happy new girls. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to kill them all. Like, this is, this is how it ends. And, you know, and I hadn't had anything to drink or to take that day. So I'm starting to shake. And I remember smoking my cigarettes like this, and we pull into the Promises Club, and um, I'm like, if you guys just bring me out a coffee and a Mountain Dew, I'll just wait here, right? And I'm shaking. And um, these girls pick me up, and they take me into Promises, you know, this clubhouse. And they had that door that just, like, boom, boom, it, like... Like the old barroom doors, right? And I remember walking in there thinking, this is what purgatory is. Like, right? It's like all these old people, you know, I was 22 at the time. They were probably 40. Okay. So preface that. And like the smoke was hovering on the bottom. It didn't even raise to the top. It just hovered over at the bottom. And there was old dirty biker guys over here. And there was this weird guy that wore like gray sweatpants before they were cool. And he's smoking, smoking like this. And then there's this man in the back, and he had, like, this beautiful trench coat on, and he, and he sat like this. And he's like, dude, would you like some cookies? And I'm like, no. I don't want anything any of you guys have. Just leave, you know. And then you walk up these steps that can only be walked up if you're sober. Like, if you need to get drunk before you go to AA, you got to walk around the back. And I remember I'm sitting up there, and it, it's a circle of miracles. It's a big square and I remember I sat down, and I don't know that I'm sitting right over the heating grate, right? So I'm sitting there, right? And I'm like, <laughs> my motors are running, and my legs are doing this, and my mom's there, and there's all these people. And, you know, when we get a hot new, you know, they're a hot mess, and we're all like a bunch of prairie dogs. Like, we're like, whoa, who's going to get her? What's her name? Uh, she's mine. La, 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 la. You're all, like, fighting, like a bunch of prairie dogs. And I am just remember going, what in the hell am I doing here? And uh, And I look at my mom, and I go, what do I say? Like, what do I say? They're going to ask me, what do I say? And she said, well, just say your name's Kelly and you're not sure. And I'm going, okay, okay. You know, and I'm smoking my cigarette and the meeting starts. And the man, his name was JD and he started the meeting. And he's there. are there any, is there anybody here for their first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? And everybody's just like, whoo. Y'all just look at you like you're on a spotlight. It's all hot. You're sweating. And I raised my hand. I was like, I'm Kelly. I'm an alcoholic. And then I just cried, you know, like that, and like the snot bubbles and you use your whole arm to wipe the snot off. Right. And, um, and I was not a picture of beauty as I sit here before you today, I'm just going to tell you what I looked like. I was a hundred pounds overweight. I hadn't showered in a long time. I don't know if I'm going to puke or poop on myself. You know, I'm going through detox and, and then it's like all these people are just like, and I don't know what they say. I'm mad because now I just said I'm an alcoholic and I'm not because I'm crazy And, um, so, you know, after the meeting, I'm like resentful and I'm angry and and then we hold hands and then we hold hands and we say the Lord's prayer. And the only other time I heard this was stuff was in church and it didn't feel like it did when it felt like in church. It's different. And I remember after we prayed, I was sitting there and I was trying to get away, but you wouldn't let me. And you came up and you hugged me and you said, please keep coming back. I love you. Please don't leave. Please keep coming back. You're the most important person in this room. And some kind of miracle, miracle, energy, magic, God, whatever you want to say it is, whatever it was in you, recognize the need in me. And you gave me that. You made me feel okay for the first time in my life. And all I did was hold your hands and pray. That is what I have been wanting to get through all the drugs, through all the men, through all the alcohol. That is what I was trying to get. And you guys gave it to me in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? Ain't that some crap? You know what I mean? Like, where the answer comes, you know? And uh they said, keep coming back. And I did because you guys made me feel good. And I promise you that if Alcoholics Anonymous did not make me feel good, I would not be doing it. That's the truth. I would not be doing anything this long if I didn't get something out of it. Now, do I like to do the things to get to the end result that makes me feel good? No. Character building isn't fun at all, is it? Yeah, it's not. You're character building. Yay. I don't want to be a character builder. I just want you to do what I want you to do, and I want to be happy. Doesn't work my way. You know, so every day I drove from Cleves, Ohio to Newport to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting so nobody would find out what I was doing. You know, and when you go to AA, um, uh, you know, and you quit drinking, your life automatically gets better. You're brushing your teeth, you're showering, right? Automatically feeling better, you know, and I'm with these women and there's, are get a sponsor. Yeah, 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 I do this. And I'm hanging out with all these, these women and, um, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm sober a little bit now. A man would be good. I hear, I hear them talking about cuddling, like big spoon, little spoon. I've never done that, you know. I just, I'd like to be the little spoon. I want to cuddle, you know. And uh, no heroin addicts though, but I just, I just want to, you know, snuggle. So I keep looking around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I find this guy, right? And I was like, I'm gonna get him. And uh, but he liked somebody that was in rehab and he's like do you want to go with me to pick her up and I was like yeah because I'm looking like it, you know, I'm trying to hit on him and he's trying to hit on the girl in rehab so we go down to rehab to get to get Amber. And um Amber is a short, beautiful pretty blonde who has six bags that she took to rehab. <laughs> And she has a stuffed animal rehab bunny. And we get there. And he's like, get her bags. And I was like, oh, God. So I'm picking up this girl's bags and put them in there. And I'm resentful. I hate her because she's blonde. And I'm pretty. And she's making a move on this dude. And uh, she goes, hi, my name is Amber. What's yours? I'm getting ready to drop my fist up. And I went, oh, I've already done that. And I just keep loading her bags and I'm like, I'm calling that sponsor because I gotta get my fist step done before Amber gets her fist step done. (laughs) And that is the truth. The only reason I worked a step was because I had a resentment against this girl that we picked up in Rehab. Amber saved my life. Those character defects that I have, right? That they like you gotta remove. They ain't gone. They just like fall away and then they have like what when you um when you get sick again and they come back, I don't know what that's called. Well, I regurgitate a lot of crap, but no, but that was, anyway, it doesn't matter, right? So my, my character defects got me working the steps, and the truth was that I had my fist up done before Amber did. I called that lady that I had in theory and said, hi, I'm Kelly, remember me? No, okay, I need to do my fist up. Um, so I hurry up and got through my steps, and I beat Amber, and that was all that mattered to me, is that I beat Amber, and... Um, so that guy didn't work out that I was uh, stalking in AA. So I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking. And finally this guy pops his head up. And I'm like, oh, no. And I'm trying to, like, shoot him out of the way because he's missing a tooth right here. And uh, he worked at the Taco Bell because where he is from, there's only one of everything. So it's the Taco Bell. The Walmart, the Taco John's, right? And he's always fixing to go somewhere. And I'm fixing to go. What are you fixing at Walmart? Why are you fixing at the gas station? I don't understand why you're fixing all these things. And he tucked his shirt into his jeans and his belt. He was a mess. He lived at the drogie house. And um didn't have a car. Convicted drug trafficker. And I was like, Ugh. I live at home with my dad, with Big Rick. I don't pay any insurance. I don't pay for my car. I'm looking down at him. And he's like, you want to go out to eat? I was like, sure. I so used him to go to Frisch's. I was just hungry. And that's the truth. I was just using him for his money. And I made Amber come with me because now Amber and I are best friends. So um, (laughs) me and Amber (laughs) go on this date. With Alan, and um, and I'm trying to get Amber to sit next to me, because I don't want, and I don't want to have to pretend, because you're supposed to live differently when you're sober, right? So I sit down, and I'm like, Amber, you know, and he just sits down and slides and puts his arm around me, and I'm like, here we go, right? And he looks at me, he goes, uh, do you believe in God? And I went, What? He goes, do you believe in God? And I was like, I, I guess I do. He goes, you guess you do? What kind of program of Alcoholics Anonymous do you work if you guess you believe in God? And I was like, hold up. I mean, I never heard that to Smoke and Monkey, right? That was not a regular pickup line that you get anywhere else except for Shazen AA, right? So uh, he proceeds to tell me his story, and he proceeds to talk about this relationship with God. And I'll tell you what, he had me. It wasn't him. It wasn't his missing tooth. It wasn't his drogie house. It wasn't anything. It was his relationship with God. Because that is something that I had struggled with for a lot. I struggled with that a lot because in the eyes of a child, your parent is God. And Big Rick and Wendy did not do a bang-up job. So if they didn't do it and they were supposed to take care of me, why would I ever believe and give faith into something like that? I believed you. And I did anything you said. You guys were the first people that I wasn't defiant with in my life. And I can't tell you why. God's grace, miracle, whatever. I don't try to figure it out. So, Alan and I started dating and we ended up getting married. And I got to wear a big old poofy dress and all my, and one of my, <laughs> so I am the first person in my family to not get married Catholic and to marry a conducted drug trafficker. My grandma was like, Good job, Kelly. She was not. One of my bridesmaids had a shaved head and had tattoos all over her. I remember, I remember getting in the back of the church. Looking like this to see my grandma's, you know, because it was a mess. It was great. And um, at our reception, we all, meaning Alcoholics Anonymous, we danced. We had a good time where my family got drunk out in the parking lot in the rain. We got married on November 27th. They were out there getting rained on, getting drunk, and we're having an awesome time inside. It was amazing. You know, and I was just... God had brought in a man into my life that loved me for me, that recognized the crazy in me and wanted to stick around. And He never left. And I tried to push him away a lot. And, you know, and I'm sitting here and I'm in my life is these things are happening in my life that I wouldn't even allow myself to think about. I would never allow myself to dream. I would never allow myself to think that anybody could love me just for me. And here it had. It had happened. You know, we're going on our merry way and do to do to do. do, do. And uh, 19 days after Alan and I were married, he was in an accident at work, and his safety harness broke, and he fell 30 feet. You're not supposed to sit in the front row. <laughs> he fell 30 feet on his head onto a barge in the Ohio River. And um, there was a point in my life that I thought that that would be my all-consuming, worse-than-alcoholism event in my life. Um, But I will tell you what happened. What happened was I made one call, and Alcoholics Anonymous outnumbered my family in the emergency room. You guys were there holding my hand where I had to write if I wanted to resuscitate him if he went into cardiac arrest. You guys were there with me when I got to see him for the first time, and he's laid out on that gurney, and he won't wake up because he's in a coma. And you guys are there, and you're holding my hand while they put that feeding tube in. And you guys are holding my hand when they put that, that medicine in his arm. And you guys are there when I'm kissing him and I'm asking him to wake up and he's not waking up. That's what you guys are doing for me and you're doing for him. And the guys in AA, they would, um, they would come and they would have meetings with him, um, the 12 and 12 and the daily reflections. And, uh, you know, there's only a lot of four people in the room at the time and you guys had meetings with him. And, uh, and a month later he woke up. And he, uh, suffers from a traumatic brain injury. And he's got one eye that goes this way and he drools a little and he's a bad driver in his wheelchair. And I'm like, hook, we got this, we got this, right? So, you know, I, I got this new husband and he's now in the dented can aisle. And so we're just, that was a joke. Oh God. <laughs> Rough crowd at 9.30 in the morning. Uh, ain't that right, babe? And, uh, you know, and, and up to this point, I did everything you guys said. I was honest. I was, I was doing the program. I was praying. I was so optimistic about this. And then he woke up, and now I have a handicapped husband. And now I don't know if I can love a person that's handicapped. And now I don't know if I want to take care of a person that's handicapped. And now he's here. And I said all of these vows, right, through sickness, through health, in front of God, in front of AA. And I don't know if I can do it. But I don't tell you. Right? Because if I tell you, you'll know what a piece of crap I am because only a piece of crap wife and a piece of crap AA member would think these things. That's what my alcoholism is telling me. Right? If I would have told you, you would have been like, Kelly, these are normal thoughts that everybody would have in this situation. But I can't do that because I have alcoholism and I keep these secrets. And what happens when I keep secrets and I'm not honest with you and I'm not working a program, they, they become reality. And it becomes the fact that I no longer love this man. I don't want to take care of this man. But I got to look good, right? I got. If the outside looks good, then the inside, will, you know, I go back to those old ideas, those old solutions that that little girl had growing up in alcoholism. That is what I go to when I'm not you. And what that looks like in my house is I'm screaming and yelling at a handicapped man. I'm yelling at him. I'm pushing him. Like, Why don't you work harder? Why don't you do this? Don't you know how this is affecting me? And I'm holding his hostage. Oh, I forgot to tell you. We're living with my mom and she relapsed. So now I'm living in a crack house with my handicapped husband. Right? I forgot. I know, right? Oh, poor Kelly. Oh, <laughs> handicap husband, crackhead house. It's so bad, right? Because this is what I'm telling myself. And uh <laughs> no God, there's no God anywhere. There's no God anywhere. I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm putting on this superwoman cape and I'm showing you everything that I want to show you. You know, from the time I'm not trying to, you know, hate my husband and get him to leave me, that God that I have that does things without my permission, that would be a great time for me and Alan to get pregnant. Oh, yeah. They don't even make after-school specials like my life, right? (laughs) So I take this test. It says pregnant because I had to get the ones that said the word. I couldn't, you know, X's and Can't do that. I need the word. And I walk in there, and I go, we're pregnant. And he's like, "Woohoo!" Yeah, it works. And I'm like, do you not understand what's going on? You're disabled. We live in a crack house and I'm pregnant. Who cares that your anatomy works, right? He's like, I think we need to go to a meeting of AA. I was like, I think we do too. So we go down to 722 and they go, are there any... Um, non-AA related announcements. And Alan raises his hand, he goes, It's a miracle, Kelly's pregnant, everybody's woo, yay, praise Jesus. I'm sobbing in the back, like, no, I really can't leave him now. You know, I'm just horrible, and everyone's hugging me. They think that I'm these are tears of joy, <laughs> they are not. And um, you know, and Alan's just like driving his little chair around, like, woo, and I'm just like, what is going on? Like this is not real life and now it's mine and uh And i'm not telling anybody this i'm not telling you every night I put my hand on my belly and I pray that this child does not hate me I pray that this child does not resent me for bringing him into a world that he doesn't have a typical dad Because he's not going to be able to play football with him or take him to boy scouts or do all these things That I think a dad should do because my dad didn't do that So now i'm putting all this stuff on this kid, right? and uh Oh that hurt a little I don't think I ever said that. I was odd to myself. So Jackson is born a month early in the same hospital that Alan was sitting in his coma. And I gave up. Um, AA didn't work. Guys are a bunch of liars. This wasn't a miracle. This was awful. And now I have this baby I have to go to the same hospital with. Alan couldn't go because I couldn't. Because I had a C-section. I couldn't push Alan. So I'm going to this hospital. I'm seeing this baby. Sick. And uh, there's no God. Why would God do this to me? So Jackson got released a month later, and I'm sitting at home, and I take Alan and Jackson hostage for two months, and we don't leave the house. And my alcoholism is just festering and festering and festering. And, um, and my mind went one day, if you kill yourself, this all goes away. If you kill yourself, Alan will go to a place that will treat him with the dignity and the respect that he deserves. And somebody will adopt this baby that you can't be a mom to and Alan can't be a dad to. And it sounded like the solution. So I had the gun and had the plan. And I uh, Jackson in the car. And I'm driving. And my phone rings. And that God that I have that does things without my permission gave me the ability to answer that phone. And uh, she's like, what you doing? I said, I'm going to kill myself. Right. We laugh now. Right. We laugh at these tragic things. Thank God she didn't laugh at me then. Thank God she didn't go. Hey, I'll give you the gun. Hey, tell me how that works out for you. Why do we shoot our wounded? I don't understand that. She didn't. Thank God she didn't. Thank God she worked a program. Thank God she did the traditions. Because she's like, where are you? And I told her. And she showed up. And I was like, she's going to fix it. She's going to fix it. And she's like, unlock the door. And I unlocked the door, and she got in the back seat, and she got Jackson, and she took him. And she said, when you want to do something about your alcoholism, you can have your son back. And I was like, that was not the answer that I wanted. (laughs) Because I had become my mom. But God had placed enough good women in my life to know to take care of my son. And I'm sitting in this car mad, right? Cause now I, I don't have my kid. And uh, not mattering that I was just gonna take myself from my kid in a little bit, but no, you did it first and now I'm not gonna do it, you know? And uh, so, um, my friend Tom's voice came in my head. It said, come down to don't do it alone. I thought about that, then I prayed. And I prayed, and I said, God, I'll give you 24 hours. You do whatever you need to do for 24 hours, but if you don't fix this, I'm done. And uh, I get home, and Alan's like, where's the kid? And I was like, get in the car. You know, so we get in the car, and we go down. We go down to Don't Do It Alone. And I pull up to Don't Do It Alone, and there's there's steps to get into the meeting. And I remember feeling so defeated. And uh, I went to pull out, and then all of a sudden I hear, boom, boom, boom. Stop. We'll get him up. We'll get him up. And you guys, an Alcoholics anonymous, you came down and you picked my husband up in his manual wheelchair. You took him up a flight of steps and you sat him into a a table and you gave him a cup of coffee and you treated him with the dignity and the respect that he deserved. You guys took him over. You took him. Lillian showed up. She gave me Jackson. I'm sitting there. I remember somebody went in the back of the kitchen and gave him a, um, a spoon or something from the kitchen. He kept banging it. And I just remember sitting here holding my kid and looking at my husband and he's okay and I just realized it's me. I realized that this is what I do. This is when I conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic because look at what I did with my family. Without a drunk, I wasn't drunk, I wasn't high. I had no mood altering substances in my body and this is what I do to the people that I love. I couldn't blame it. I could blame all the stuff before I got sober. I could blame every single piece of that on what I drank or what I put in me. This time I could It was me and my alcoholism and I remember I stood up at that meeting and I was like, please help me I can't do it. Please help me And I surrendered to you and I did anything you told me to do The thing was is that I started sharing all those thoughts I had about not being able to love my husband and not being able to take care of my husband And when I wrote it down on paper and I shared it with you, it lost its power I love my husband And I'm grateful that I have the ability to take care of him when that needs to happen. You know, is it hard being married to someone that has a traumatic... I mean, think about it. He's a man who has alcoholism, who has a traumatic brain injury. He's like the trifecta of you're not picking this one, right? (laughs) But the thing is... I promise you that I am way harder to be married to than he is. I promise you. I mean, you guys are just getting this in an hour. Could you imagine living with this all the time, right? And and this is healthy. I promise this is healthy. And uh you know and and, and we did this and we sought outside help and we we got a therapist that worked with um with traumatic in- brain injuries, and and you know, and, and we did it, and and I wish I could sit here and tell you that once I got on that beam and I surrendered, it has been horseshoes and freaking rainbows, and it hasn't, because. Um I have alcoholism, and if I don't do what I need to do to take care of alcoholism, it just starts running the show, right? And I have no idea it's running the show. I just have these awesome ideas that go, you know what? You should probably be the PTA treasurer, and you should probably be the Boy Scout mom, and you should be a classroom mom, and you should do all these things, right? Because it says somewhere, because somebody in AA told me that we are supposed to be good citizens of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we need to go out into the community and be a good community people. I don't think that's ever said that, but that's just what i heard and I ran with it right so I'm doing all these things you know and uh one day I'm reading these sight words with these kids and it's like the and cat and 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 these kids are going k-a-t and I'm thinking your mom should beat you because you are stupid and I'm like whoa 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 Kelly these are not good thoughts that so you're supposed to be educating these children and you want to punch them in their mouth and they're in the third grade. Like, something's going on, right? So I don't tell anybody that I want to punch third graders. And I go home and I make the, you know, I go to the PTA meeting. I got the credit card, all these things. And once, uh, one Saturday morning I wake up and I'm fighting mad. Like, I'm just waiting. Like, come on, say something. Come on. It's going to be Alan, I know. You know, and... uh He's like, hey, do you want to go to the chili cook-off? I'm like, who's speaking? And he's like, that's my alcoholism voice. And, uh um, it doesn't sound like that in here. That's just how it comes out, right? And, um, he goes, Darla. And I was like, Darla, I know Darla's story better than Darla does. They get the same people all the time. God, why don't they get new AA people, you know? And he's like, what up? He rolls away, and I'm like, na 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 nah. And, um cuz he rolls away fast now because I used to get mad at him and I would turn off his electric wheelchair because he's delayed about 20 seconds. So if I'm yelling at him and he's trying to get away, I would just like, "Stop it." But my sponsor told me I'm not allowed to do that because that that he if he wants to walk away and not participate in the argument that I want to have, then he's allowed to. So I have not done that in like 13 years. So there is progress. That, yeah, thank you. There is I don't turn off his wheelchair anymore. Um
1: that was really hard. That was <laughs> so hard.
0: Anyway, so I'm yelling at Alan about this Darla and the damn chili cook, darn chili cook off. And, um, and I'm just, I'm, there's something wrong and I don't know what it, what it is. And my friend Kurt, he's like, why don't you keep coming up to the dry dock? Come up to the dry dock. Come up to the dry dock. And I went up to the dry dock because he kept asking me and kept asking me and kept asking me. So keep asking me because I do hear you. I do hear you. And, uh, um, I got up there and he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh no. He was making the coffee. He's like, well, you know, get a big book, sit down, I'll give you, get you some coffee. And I remember I sat down and I opened that big book and my head went, if you don't do something, you're going to drink. And it scared me because I had never had that clear of a thought that wasn't my alcoholism that hit me that hard. And I just cried. I'm back to the, <laughs> you know, stop bubble wiping it off and, uh, I don't know what happened in that meeting. All I know is that I talked to a lady after the meeting. She's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to go to the chili cook-off and hear Darla talk. That's what I'm going to do. The whole family, we're all going, you know. And, and I get home, and I'm like, Alan, we're going to go to the chili cook-off. And Jackson, you got to go. And Alan's like, whatever. And we're getting in the car. And we sit at the table. And Darla starts talking about being sober for a long time and being a Girl Scout mom. And she's picking up Girl Scouts and taking Girl Scouts to Girl Scout meetings and the new girls and going to, to AA meetings. And that she relapses and that her daughter that she had in sobriety got to see what alcoholism was really about. And I'm in the back and I'm sobbing. I'm sobbing. And I wait, you know, after everybody thanks the speaker, I wait. It was very dramatic. I had two people walking me up like I'm about to get saved from the preacher, you know, and we're going up to Darla. And uh, she's like, honey, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't want to be like you, you know, and I just start crying and And she laughs and she goes, well, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. And she's like... What are you going to do? I was like, I don't know what to do. And she goes, yes, you do. I was like, no, I don't. Because I don't know about you guys, but if I get off that beam, it's like I forget every single thing that I have ever known to do. It is non-existent in my head. And she's like, okay, what do you tell your sponsees to do? And I was like, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and call me every day and get women's phone numbers. And she's like, how are you being sponsored? I was like, on the phone. And she's like, oh, is that working? I'm like, apparently not. You know, so... You know, I, I I do what she tells me. And in my head, it goes, if you do all these things, you can't be a mom. You can't be a mom. You can't be there to cook dinner. You can't be there to tuck Jackson in. You can't do sight words for the kids at school. You know, all these things that are so important to me that I was so gracious to have. And I sat Alan and Jackson down. We got home. We had a group conscience, you know, and I was like, we did. <laughs> Only on big stuff. If I'm just bitching, I'm just or complaining. I'm just complaining. Anyway, so I sat down and I said, guys... I was like, I need to do 90 meetings in 90 days. I said, I I got a new sponsor. And I was like, I just want you guys to know this is what I have to do. And Alan's like, thank God. And he rolled away. And I was like, (laughs) how dare him not even be upset that I'm not even going to be here every night. Right? (laughs) Jerk. And uh, and Jackson looks at me and he goes, "Uh, are you going to drink, mommy? And I said, Jackson, I don't want to drink. And I know that if I do this, I don't have to drink. And he was like. Okay. And then he just left too. So I'm just not the dramatic climax that I was hoping for. Um, but I treated my alcoholism. I treated my alcoholism. And, um, and from that day, I can tell you that I have had at least one foot on the beam. I'm not going to sit here and go, yeah, woo, I've been doing it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's a choice. Sometimes I want to sit him and watch Netflix, and that's not a lie. You know, sometimes I have to pray while the phone is ringing to answer it. Because I just, I don't want to be an alcoholic today. I just want to be Kelly. Whatever that looks like, like that's what I want to be. But um I, I know what Kelly looks like without you, and it is awful, right? So, you know, our life today um is pretty amazing. Um I have never realized how much you guys are ingrained into every thought I have, every decision I make, how I speak to people, the solution that I offer people that aren't even us, and um, especially with our son. Um, Jackson is now 16. Uh, I know. <laughs> and uh, and I don't know if he's one of us, but I do know that he has been raised in um, in alcoholism, you know, just because he doesn't um, see me drink those things that I learned from a little kid, those solutions, those old ideas that I still use, he knows those because he lives with me, and that's okay. It is what it is. But he also has been raised in the solution, and uh he struggles. You know, and he gets he has these anger and 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 stuff. And um, and one day um, after an event happened in his life, um, normal teenage stuff, right? He just loses it, and he's pulling in his hair, and he's like, I just wanted to stop. I hate guys I just want to kill myself, right? And I'm sitting there, and my head goes, he saw you hit, hit Alan and push Alan when he was a baby. And he heard how bad of a mom you are because how you treated Alan, and he saw that door that you tore off the hinges when he was two years old. This is why, Kelly, you made him like this. You, you you were a horrible mom. I was like, you know what, you should probably get drunk. You know, go get drunk. Oh no, you know what, Kelly, better yet, just go shoot heroin. Because it's not gonna matter because your son's gonna kill himself because you're a piece of crap mom. And I sat there and Jackson's over there crying, and I was remember going, Jackson, does your head talk to you? And he went, What? I said, does your head talk to you? Does your head tell you that you're like a bad kid and you don't get good enough grades and you're just, you're just awful? And he just sat down. And I said, does your head talk to you? He's like, sometimes. I'm like, my head talks to me. He's like, really? I said, you want to hear what it just said? <laughs> and he said, yes. So I told him. And I said, my head just told me that I should just get drunk because I'm a horrible mother and I messed you up and you're so screwed up that you're going to kill yourself. So I might as well shoot heroin and do it because it won't matter because you're not going to be here. And I remember he looked at me and I said, I don't know if I was supposed to share that with you or not. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but I said, he's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I already did it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I told on it. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, Jackson, I said, my head talks to me. I said, but I know that it's not real and I don't have to do it. But the only way that I know that I won't do that is if I share it with somebody else. He's like, well, I don't want to share people. They just listen because they feel sorry for you. I'm like, "Mm, maybe, but who cares? You feel better. And he just sat there. I was like, Jackson, I was like, I don't know. He's like, don't do that. AA crap to me. And I was like, buddy, I don't know how else to do this except AA crap. So you're getting the AA crap. And, um, And I share with my son the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, And I'm okay with that because that's what you guys did for me. I know he can't hear the solution for me. God, I hope he never needs this, but it's here. And God, thank God. Thank God that you guys are here if my kid needs this. Thank God you're here because his mom needs this and his dad needs this and his aunts need this. You know, hell yeah, I need it. Amen, preach, you know, and... um, and I will tell you that um, I am in constant contact with my sponsor. And it is important to me because uh, I trust her with Jackson's mom. Trust her with Big Rick's daughter. Trust her with Wendy's daughter. And if you don't have someone that you can trust that with, you need to find someone that you can Because I know that I can stay sober by her example and the things that she's gone through. I have men in my life. I'm not trying to sleep with, which is a huge thing, you know, from back in the day. You know what I mean? And um, it's just, you taught me it was okay. You taught me that it was okay to be me and have the thoughts that I was having. And you never judged me. You never judged me. And um I just want to grow old with you guys. I do. I just want to grow old with you. I want to be the next Nancy and Linda. My hair is already red. I got to find me a Linda, right? And I just want to I want to be old on a walker, and I want to be here, and I want to hear you speak, and I want to hear you share your experience, strength, and hope, and I want you guys to love me so much because that is the only place that I've ever felt okay, being vulnerable with you, allowing you to love me and to know that I'm not a bad mom. I'm a mediocre wife. I'm an average mom and I'm an average member of Alcoholics Anonymous, so I want to thank you for my sobriety. Yeah. Can I get... You get a kid. Yay! We got a...